over here. So this week I was having a conversation with somebody and I said, hey, you know, you, you really, you're invited to come to our church. And, and I said, look at me. I mean, if, if they let me preach, anybody's welcome to come to this church. And the person's not here. So <laughs> maybe my approach was wrong. So, um, so just Merry Christmas. Uh, tonight, six o'clock, it's a one hour service. There'll be some goodies at the end just for us to enjoy. So if you're not doing anything and you're having family time and Come on out. We're going to have it regardless of how much it snows today. So, um, This week we were having this conversation in our life group. So our life group lasted a little bit longer. We've, we finished this past Tuesday. And the conversation was that as we come to worship Jesus, how should we come? How should we, how should we approach it, worship? What should be our posture? What should be our excitement and our enthusiasm? And, and we kind of discussed how... how um, you could turn on a TV and watch any sporting event or go to a sporting event and people go nuts over a ball that doesn't bounce, that's not round, right? Like this football that doesn't bounce straight or somebody shooting something into a little basket. We can get really excited about that. Have you been to youth sports? The passion that parents go, like put out there to watch their child play um, is ridiculous, it's crazy. I think some parents put their kids in sports for themselves so they could go get excited and scream at the other coaches and refs and their own coach and all that. So, so we talked about how, how we should just, our, our response to worship should be as passionate. And the reason why is because of today, because everything that revolves around Christianity is the birth of Jesus. And we're, we're excited that, that they, this infinite God became finite to be with his people, to come and save us. And so that's, it's, a, it's a reason for us to get excited. It's not just a reason for us to get excited on Christmas morning or during this holiday season, but we get to be excited and worship God throughout our, our lives, throughout our days, as we come together as God's family on Sunday. This excitement to say we get to worship this infinite God that made himself known among us. And this is what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And, and here, so if, you, if you've missed, here's what we're talking about. When Jesus came, he brought his kingdom and it broke into the kingdoms of this world. There was this, this collide that took place when Jesus came. And, and what we've been talking about through the, the Advent candles and the Advent um, season is that when Jesus came and when God's kingdom came, there were some attributes that he brought. So one was that he brought hope. He brought hope that we have hope for a future, we have hope for an eternity, that we have hope for salvation for our lives. The, the next one we talked about was joy. We kind of talked about it out of order here at Branches. So if your church was doing the Advent, you, you might have did it a different, a different order. But we talked about joy and how joy is this inner, this inner happiness, this contentment that says, it does not matter what's taking place on the outward circumstances of my life, but because, because Jesus is in my life, because I have a, a God who loves me, I can make it through whatever my outward circumstances are. Last week, Rob talked about peace, and I loved Rob's definition of peace. It was, it was when the creator and creation are in harmony, are, are enjoying one another, then we have peace. Don't you love that? When, when, when we are enjoying God and God is enjoying us, then we have peace in our life. 
And this morning, we're going to talk about, about the attribute and, and, and the, what Jesus brought is, is love to the world. And, and it's an unconditional love that, that Jesus brought to us that gives us life. And here's, here's how it is in the, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, most well-known verse that you see at every sporting event. It says this, John 3.16 says, This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves so much that he gave. And, and if you think about love, if you think about, if I'm going to love somebody or love something, what do you have to do? You have to give something, right? You have to give something of yourself. It's emotion, it's time, it's money, it's, it's your talents. If you're going to love something, that you have to give. And so I wanted to share and just kind of brag about you guys because as a pastor, sometimes pastoring is not fun. I, I, I have this line. So we've been, we've been a church for almost about three years now. And I, I, I came up with this line pretty quickly into this church being a church plant. My line was, I did not sign up for this. And what I mean by that is, you know, I signed up to just love people and to see people go into Warsaw and love other people. That's what I signed up for. And, but I had to learn how to do sound systems. I didn't sign up for that. I, I don't have an ear. Don't let me deal with the sound system. But I had to. I had to learn how to do lighting. I had to, I had to start learning about leadership and, and leading people. That's an important one if you're going to pastor a church today. Uh, and, and sometimes I come home from work after a week and I've had phone calls that aren't fun. And, and it's just like, man, I'm tired. But this week I had an awesome week. And it's the reason, and it's because of you guys that I had an awesome week. Friday, I was like bouncing off the walls when I got home because here's what took place Friday. Friday, you know, we've been gathering from our Christmas tree the little cards and you guys have been bringing gifts. And now let me just give you some numbers um, four families that we, you know, we put four families on the tree and we had a list of 120 gifts between the four families. And I think maybe four or five got, gifts got crossed off. So let's just be safe and say 115 gifts. Every single one got taken. Every single one got delivered on, on by Friday. With, we, have a, we have a few to just give out, but all but just maybe four or five got delivered on Friday. So the office was filled with gifts. And, and on Thursday night, we started dividing the four families. And it was just, it was overwhelming that, that we were able to bless four families with awesome, awesome Christmases. And you guys did it. And here's what was exciting about me. I got to be there while the families came and picked up the gifts. And I got to be there to carry the gifts and put them in the car and just say, hey, Merry Christmas. So I got to see the reactions and the responses of the families. There was about three or four of us in here this week or on Friday doing it. And it was what make, made being a pastor exciting for me is, the, is to see you guys love people by giving. And it's giving gifts, but you guys were giving and it was awesome. And then here's what happened. That morning, we started getting phone calls. We got three different phone calls from th- three different families that we don't know. They, just, they were just dialing churches saying, hey, we have no money. Can, is there anything you guys could do so we could give our kids a, a Christmas. And next door at CrossFit, they had done a toy drive and they had stacks and stacks of toys. So we're saying, yes, come on down. And so two different families came down and we loaded them up. It was great. One, one woman had a hefty sack filled with toys and her, her father brought her down. She had three kids and we we're able to just encourage this. These were the people that I was saying, hey, 
you can come here because look at me. And so, I, but I, we were able to pray with them and say, you know, may God bless you. May, may you find the love of Jesus this time, that, that something special will take place in your heart, knowing that Jesus loves you. And, and for two families, we got, to, we got to pray with them. And so it was so busy on Friday, but it was such an awesome time to be able to, to, to be the final piece of what you guys have been doing over the past month. So good on you. And that's loving people. That's loving. You guys gave of your time. You went shopping. You gave of your money. You wrapped presents. And, and it, it, it just showed that it made me excited to be a part of this church. It really did. And, and here's what I found out. Like, Jim, where's Jim at? Jim Curtis. Raise, wave your hand. So Jim Curtis, do you know that Jim, every single week on Friday, he goes to a place. I don't know. He, to, he, he told me that. And he picks up a vehicle full of bread. And then Jim goes and delivers the bread, the bread to families who, who need food. Do you know that Jim does this kind of stuff? Jim, you're loving people every week when you take your time to go serve them. And, and then on Friday, John and Kristen, raise your hand, John and Kristen. John and Chris, Kristen came, and Jim had brought a box of bread for us. And so they took the box of bread, and then we drove them next, or they drove next door, and we loaded their van full of toys, and they spent Friday, Saturday, and, and even going forward and passed out toys to, to families that they, they rounded up and stuff. So you guys are serving and loving people here in Warsaw. And what's happening is this, you're planting little seeds when you say, hey, Jesus loves you. We just want to love you by, by serving you and giving you something. You're, you're planting little seeds that when Jesus, when they finally, you know, there's this grabbing of the heart and they say, man, I, I need something different in my life. Or I just want to know that Jesus loves me. There's that seed that is, is planted in their heart. Do you guys get that? And it's, it's because you guys have said, we want to love people in Warsaw. And it's exciting. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so good on you, okay? And so here's what happened. As Jesus came on the scene and his kingdom came, he touched people's lives the same way you guys were able to touch people, people's lives this week. And as he touched people's lives and, and as he's touched our lives, we come up with these Jesus stories. We, 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 we can sit around and say, this is how Jesus touched my life. This is what excite, is exciting about what took place in my life because of what Jesus did in my life. So here's the encouragement for today. What I want to do is just, I want to go through a reflection time and, and then pass off an assignment for you guys to reflect on what has Jesus done in your life in this year? What has Jesus done in your life in your life? And the, the thought came up this way is that a week or so ago, we were sitting around a table at a restaurant with a group of friends and we started talking about celebrities that we have met. So Merritt met Richard Simmons. Exciting. Merritt met Richard Simmons. And so we started talking about these, these celebrities that we, we know, and we had stories about the celebrities that we met. And, and so as I started thinking about that, I've met a lot of celebrities. I grew up in Southern California, so over my life, you know, we, we went to sporting events, and we'd see the celebrities and maybe shake hands. But there was three celebrities in my life that I met that actually, there was a, a form of an impact on my life because I, I met them. And in a couple of cases, I had relationships with them, relationships with them. So this first guy, look at this picture of this first guy. His name is Randy Gratishar. So if you, you may not know this guy, but if you are a Denver Broncos fan or if you come from Denver, Colorado, you would definitely know this guy. He played for the Denver Broncos in the late 70s into the mid 80s, and he was part of the defense called the Orange Crush. So if you remember football from that time, it was, and he was the, he was the anchor of the defense. He was a linebacker, and, and he, they, they dominated offenses. 
And Randy, in, if you go to Denver Football Stadium, whatever it's called, his number is retired there. He's still very well known in that area. And the way I met Randy was that my brother's senior year in high school in Southern California, Randy moved to Southern California, and he walked on and was coaching linebackers, and he coached my brother. My brother was a, a very good linebacker. He was the Southern California player of the year, his senior year, and Randy coached him. And so there became this relationship. And out of this relationship with Randy, he, he would come to our house for dinner. My dad took him fishing. Um, I went to his house, and, and he hired me to do, I was doing construction and do some repairs on his house. He would take my brother down to San Diego. Whenever the Broncos would come play San Diego, they would go down and, and eat eat the meal with the team and do a chapel with the team and that sort of thing. So, so Randy Gratishaw was a, a celebrity that I met. Okay, the next celebrity is this guy named Eddie, Eddie Algera. And Eddie is, was a two-time world champion skateboarder in the, in the 80s. He was a pioneer and an innovator in the skateboarding industry. He was a, a pro, pro skateboarder before they were making big money. And uh, Eddie... Um, he mentored guys like Lance Mountain and Tony Hawk, and just name a name of somebody that you know. He mentored these skateboarders that are the millionaires today in the skateboarding industry. And Eddie, in 2016, was inducted into the Skateboarding Hall of Fame. I met Eddie because I walked into a church, and it was a church that, I, that Joe and I met at, and uh, he was the youth pastor. And so through a course of time, I served underneath Eddie for a couple years, and we became friends. And Eddie actually was the one who married Joe and I, who, who performed our wedding. So, and he's still a, a big name. I realized how big of a name Eddie was. He took me to a trade show down in L.A., and it was only skateboarding and surfing trade show. And as we walked around, every magazine, every, every anybody was coming up to him to take pictures, want to do interviews, clothing, mag- clothing companies, Vans, Vans Shoes, um, Billabong, Hurley, they were saying, hey, Eddie, come down to the factory. Let's load your family up with clothing because he was still somebody. So this is a celebrity I met. So here's, here's the last celebrity that I want to talk about that I met. It's a lady named Mary Wilson. Anybody know this name, Mary Wilson? So Mary Wilson, she was the founding member of a little group called the Supremes with Diana Ross and Florence Ballard. And I met Mary Wilson on a cold January Saturday morning in the middle of the desert in 1994. Here's how the story goes. My brother had had his birthday, and I had missed his birthday. I was out of town, so I come back. I said, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? He says, I want to go to Las Vegas. So we lived three hours from Las Vegas. So we, on a Friday afternoon, piled in the car, my brother and myself and a buddy, and we drove my little pickup truck across the desert to Las Vegas where we spent the whole evening praying. (laughs) Sounds spiritual, right? Here's the prayers we were having. Oh God, I need a 21. I need a blackjack right now. Oh, come on, come on. Jesus, give me, give me a jackpot. So we spent the whole night wasting our money and, uh, jumped back in our car about 6 a.m., broke, penniless, to drive back across the desert, and we came, up, came up upon a car accident. And there was a Jeep that had rolled many times and was in the center divider in the middle of the desert, and the, the woman was out of the car, and she was obviously in distress. The, her, her son, 14-year-old son, was half-ejected out of the car, and my brother and I, we, my, dad, my dad, for his company growing up, he, he taught... Um, life-saving skills, CPR, and this. So we knew, we knew how, to, how to respond to a situation like this. So we immediately you know, started CPR on the young man, and uh, 
While my brother was taking care of that, I walked over to the lady and just tried to calm her down, get her to sit. We were probably the second people on the scene. And for probably about 45 minutes, we performed CPR on this young man. And, um, and we finished by loading the woman into the helicopter that had landed. And it really confused me because I thought the young man should be loaded into the helicopter because the woman was coherent and awake, and he was not. And it turns out that he was already dead. He, had, he probably was dead even the whole time we were performing CPR on him. And so that had this huge impact on me just to be in that kind of a situation. What ended up happening is they flew her to a local hospital near our home that my grandmother actually happened to be in that hospital on the same time. So my mom delivered a little card to her. She ended up calling the house and, and revealing who she was and that she um, later on she was on an afternoon talk show, Oprah or Sally Jesse Raphael or one of these afternoon talk shows, and she told the story about these two brothers that helped, and, you know, she's talking about us on TV, and so we never met her personally. I mean, I met her personally. I knelt with her, and she even claims that I prayed with her. I don't know that I prayed with her, but it sounds really good as a pastor today. I don't think, I, I'm, I'm sure it was somebody else, but, but, you know, this was, these were three people that, you know, on various levels had impact in my life. So let me, let me just kind of bring this back around to what we're talking about is, is when we talk about Jesus and the Christmas story and what we're here today for is this. Uh, and it's kind of one question is, what's your Jesus story? Because if, you, if I said, tell me, your, tell me your celebrity story, you might have a celebrity story of a celebrity sighting. Or, of, but what is your Jesus story? What is, what is your, your story that you would say that says, this impacted my life in such a way because of Jesus? His love impacted me in such a way. I heard this just a couple weeks ago. You know, the, the book of Luke, this guy Luke, you know, we read out of the book of Luke for, for um, the Christmas story. And here's what Luke writes in the very beginning. He says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that had been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating amongst us from early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theopolis, so that you can be certain of the truths of everything you were taught. Here's here's what Luke is doing. Luke is setting out to give real news. You know, we have this thing going around called fake news, right? Luke wanted to give the real news. And so the picture I get with Luke is this, that he sat down and interviewed people. Could you picture Luke sitting down interviewing Mary? Mary. Tell me about Jesus. Give me a story. And Mary being the mother, she may say, man, this one day we could not find that kid. We were frantic. He was, we found him in the temple. And Mary might, you know, tell stories and he may have to say, okay, I'm going to write that one down. This one we're going to let go. And, and so here's Luke interviewing eyewitnesses and finding out the story. What would we get if we had a group of people from biblical times sitting around telling their Jesus story? So let's just, let's just play with that a little bit, okay? So let's just, let's just figure that, that there's four or five people, and they're sitting around a table, and the topic comes up about, hey, has anybody ever met Jesus? And they go, oh, yeah, let me tell you the story. So let's just start with this first guy who's sitting there. And maybe this, let's just picture this guy sitting there dressed really nice, and he's really proper. And, he, and he's, 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 you know, he's hair's combed, he's, he's groomed real clean, he's got sharp clothing, and during the course of the meal, as they've, as they've led up to this time, this guy is just sitting there, and he's just been kind of quietly observing, only interjecting when talked to, and he says, 
Let me tell you my story about when I met Jesus. And he says, you know, Jesus, the love of Jesus freed me from torment. And then he'll start telling this story. He'd say this, that I used to be tormented by demons. And then one day, while I was naked and hiding in a cave, Jesus came and found me. And Jesus said to the many, many demons that tormented my mind, he said, you guys have to go. And it was so awesome because he, he told those demons to go into a herd of pigs. And you know what those pigs did? They ran off the cliff and died. And immediately, the torment went away. Immediately, I was sane. The struggle that I had in my life went away. He would say, guards used to have to bind me in chains and in shackles. And you know what the demons would do? They would cause me to tear and break away those. I would run into the wilderness and hide in a cave. And man, was I alone. But because of my story, because of Jesus, I'm no longer alone. He would say, they even wrote about me. Luke wrote about me in the Bible. And he would say, look to Luke 8. And he says this, that after I met Jesus, a crowd soon gathered around and they saw the man. That was me who had been freed from demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. He would finish by saying, Jesus freed me. The love of Jesus freed me from, from torment. So here's what I would ask you this morning. Would your Jesus story be that Jesus freed you from torment? Now, maybe it's not demons. Maybe it is demons. Let's just tease that out just for a second. What would be a demon today? You can yell it out if you think. Any, any ideas? Addiction. Addiction. Thank you. Who said that? You read my notes. <laughs> now, a lot of times we, we, we look at people who are demon-possessed in the Bible, or we hear about people who are demon-possessed, and we think of something huge. But you know what? One of the things I believe is torment is when you have addiction. And, and in your head, you can't see past getting through the next step until you get your fix or until you get high or until you get drunk because you need to mask and cover whatever the pain is or whatever life is that's caused you to go there. Would your Jesus story say, Jesus loved me so much that the torment is gone. I am freed from addiction. Would that be your Jesus story? If you were going to write it down, would that be your Jesus story? Just consider that because this is your assignment. So then, so then after this man, you know, finish his story, Maybe there's a woman sitting there, and here's what she would say. She would say, the love of Jesus healed my body. And here's how she would explain it. She would say, you know, that day, and she may look at the, the, the guy that was demon-possessed and say, you know, that day that, you, that Jesus healed you, Jesus, you remember Jesus got in a boat and he crossed this lake. Well, when he crossed the lake, I was on the other side. And it was crazy because the crowds were huge, and they were pushing in and pressing into Jesus. And, they, and I just, I knew that I needed to touch the man because I knew his love was so great. He didn't need to know who I was. I just needed to get my hand and touch him. And then he would, she would explain to the group sitting around the table that she had been for 12 years dealing with an issue where her body just was, was bleeding. She could not stop bleeding. Doctors never couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure it out. She was pushed away from society, but she knew that this Jesus had a love to give her that would heal her. And so she would say, I reached in amongst the crowd, and I touched his robe. And instantly, my body was healed. He healed me physically. This would be her Jesus story. And she might say, I even tried to just slip away into the crowd at that point. 
I knew I was healed. I needed nothing more. I was done. But then she would point this out, that Jesus said, who touched me? And everyone denied it. And Peter would say, master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. And Jesus would say, but someone deliberately touched me. I felt the healing power go from go out from me. And then she would say that I realized that I couldn't stay hidden. So I got scared. I became to trouble. I fell on my knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard me explain to Jesus why I had touched him and that I had been healed immediately. And this is what Jesus said to me. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And she would finish her story by saying the love of Jesus healed my body. So if you're going to pen down your Jesus story, would you say Jesus healed my body? You remember Mike? Mike, raise your hand. Didn't know I was going to point him out. But remember, uh, what, six months ago or something, Mike? Mike had a kidney stone. It was miserable pain. And it was like a week out before they were able to go do the surgery or, you know, explode it or whatever they do. But he had to live with this kidney stone for an entire week. And, and Mike, just in a, in a, in a moment of, of pain, in a moment of anguish, in a moment of faith, he just put his hand on his back and said, Jesus, I, I just, I need you to take this pain away because I can't make it through another week. And for that entire week, the pain was gone. That's your Jesus story, Mike. Jesus healed you physically. He took care of a pain that was tormenting you. Would that be your Jesus story? Could you say, I had a physical problem in my life. Jesus met me. His love was so great that he healed my, healed my body. Then there'd be this person. It would be two people sitting across from this lady. It'd be a dad with his arm around his daughter. They'd have a smile on their face. And, and they knew it was their turn to talk. And maybe the daughter would look up at the dad like, go ahead, tell the story. Because dads love to tell stories, right? And so the dad would say, the love of Jesus brought me life. And he would say, I was there also that same day. And I approached Jesus and said, you need to come, my daughter's dying. And the crowd was so great. And there was so much happening. He'd even maybe recognize that woman like, you helped hold the crowd, hold it up. And then I got news that my daughter had died. And I was, I was a mess. And Jesus said this to me. He said, he said, where am I at? Where am I at? Where am I at? Just read it. Put up the next scripture there. This is what Jesus said to this guy. He said, don't be afraid. Have faith. And she will be healed. And so the dad would say, so, so at that point, I walked with Jesus to my house. And when we got to the house, it was packed with people. And everybody was crying because my daughter was dead. And, and Jesus said to a couple of his disciples and to my wife and to myself, come on, let's go into the room. And he grabbed my daughter's hand and he just said, child, get up. I think that dad would start crying right there because he knew his daughter was dead. But just the touch of Jesus, his hand, brought this baby, this child, this 12-year-old back to life. And he would say, the love of Jesus gave me life. Has Jesus given you life? Is your life different today because you said yes to Jesus? Because you met Jesus in such a way that, that now you have life. Because he came to give life, to give abundant life to all who will receive it. Now, I want to stretch this story out because we're talking about biblical characters, okay? Because there's one guy that we have to talk about in this story. So we're going to stretch it out to eternity. 
So we, we've left the biblical characters. They're still sitting at the table, but there's some guy that's at the table, and he's dressed in all black. Anybody have an idea who would be dressed in all black sitting at this table? No. Thank you. I know that's why I like you, John. Johnny Cash is sitting at the table. And Johnny Cash would say, the love of Jesus saved me. Do you guys know Johnny Cash's story? I think it's a powerful, incredible story. Here's a story. If you know it well, don't hold me to the facts too too cleanly because I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to try and say it for the sake of time. So Johnny Cash obviously wrote like 1,500 songs in his time, you know, the endless celebrity. His music will be played for eternity because it's timeless and it's wonderful. And if you don't like Johnny Cash, we'll, we'll just talk about that later. <laughs> so in the, in, the, in the mid-60s, Johnny Cash is rising to stardom, to fame. And as he's rising, he... First of all, let's just start by saying he was raised in this Baptist and Pentecostal home. His mother was Baptist and Pentecostal. Baptocostal, I guess, is how that would go. Um, and he left the faith of his, of his mother. And he's rising to stardom. And he finds his, his peace in drugs and alcohol. And it takes over his life. And his marriage is in shambles. It's crumbling. And he's missing tours. He's missing concerts. He's canceling recording dates. And he says this. He says that I had wasted my life. I had drifted so far away from God and every stabilizing force in my life that I felt there was no hope for me. And so he decided that he was going to end his life. So he went to these caves on the Tennessee River just north of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And here's a story. He says he parked his car, his Jeep, and he crawled for three hours into the depths of these caves until his battery of his flashlight went dead. He already knew people had been lost in these caves just simply they get in and they can't get out. And so he said, I'm going to end my life. I'm going to go into these caves. And so he crawls in. He's exhausted and he lied down in total darkness. And he says, the absolute lack of light was appropriate. For at that moment, I was as far away from God as I have ever been. He says, my separation from him, the deepest and most ravaging of various kinds of loneliness I had felt over the years seemed finally complete. And he laid in the darkness waiting for death. And then he discovered a profound truth about God. He said, I thought I had left him, but God hadn't left me. And then he began to feel something powerful take place in his mind, a sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. It was a feeling that that defied his intellect. He said the feeling of tranquility persisted, and he began to focus on God. There in the cave, I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea— I was not in charge of my destiny. I was not in charge of my own death. I was going to die at God's time, not mine. I hadn't prayed about my decision to seek death in the cave, but that hadn't stopped God from intervening. intervening. Filling the stirring of new hope, he found himself in a predicament. So he's in this, this cave in total darkness, not knowing what he's going to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets him, and he has a new hope for his life. And so he... he the story goes that he, he crab crawled his way, just going in a random direction, feeling as he went as not to fall over into a pit. There was a fancier word that I don't know what it is. Prefaces? 
What's the word? Let's just forget that, okay? Let's just go with pit. He's crawling. And as he's crawling, he feels a breeze come across his face. And he realizes that that breeze has to be coming from outside. So he just follows the breeze. And crab crawls his way in the pitch black until he sees a, a bit of light. And then he exits the cave. And then the rest of his life, ups and downs, there was always this steady focus that Jesus saved him. Jesus is a savior. I think Johnny Cash would have said this. If I could find it. He would have quoted this scripture. He said, God showed how much he loved me by sending his one and only son into the world so that I may have eternal life through him. So now here's the reflection in the assignment. Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to go home right now. And some of us have family already in town. Some of us already have plans. We're going to go have a dinner. And then we're going to go have another dinner. And then tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and we're going to open up a bunch of presents. And then we're going to have another dinner. Then next week we're going to make a commitment to go to the gym. We're going to talk about that next week. (laughs) But it could be so easy that we can forget to reflect on the reason for the season, if I could say that. That we could forget to reflect that Jesus came The infinite God came and became finite for us to save us, to heal us, to give us life, to free us from torment. And we could just go through the next 24 hours, 48 hours, and Christmas could come and go, and we could have, you know, unwrapped all the presents that we spent money on and eaten all the food and then then just say, okay, we'll wait around for next year. Or we could take some time out in our hearts while we're lying in bed tonight, sitting around the table, and say, what is your Jesus story? What, how, did, how did Jesus change your life? What, how, if, how did, what took place in your life? Just, let's just say this past 12 months, where Jesus intervened in your life, and you're a different person because of that. And I just want to encourage you, would you be willing to take some time and think about that? Would you be willing to write that down? Would you be willing to email that to me? Send it through the mail, text it to me, whatever. I'd love to hear those stories. Uh, This is what was happening in my life. I met Jesus in a real way. And today, I don't have the torment that I had from addiction. I don't have the physical pain because Jesus healed me. I know I'm saved. I know I have new life because Jesus came and was born in a manger. Would you be willing to do that? That'd be a good thing, I think, that we can reflect that. And then, as we reflect that, as we say, I have a Jesus story, because we all do in some way. I have a Jesus story. When we worship him, that should, that should make our worship so much more passionate, so much more powerful, so much we should be excited to worship the Jesus that came and, and impacted our lives. All right, that's it. So we'll go ahead and stand with me. Here's what we're going to do. Dave, Dave's going to come up, and he's just going to share a thought. He was something God gave him this morning. We're going to wrap up with one song. And then we're going, to, we're going to be dismissed. At the end of that song, we want to pray with you. We want, if, if you need a Jesus story, today could be your day for your Jesus story. If you're like, man, I don't have a Jesus story. I just don't have one. Maybe, maybe it starts by you saying, Jesus, give me a story. And, and you could come up here and get prayed for. People would just love to meet with you 
and ask Jesus to, to begin that story in your life. So that, that will take place at the end. And then I just want to say Merry Christmas, and we'll be back here tonight at 6 p.m. just for a one-hour great candlelight service. So this morning I got...